Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine, and welcome back from the holidays. It's been a, a two-week hiatus for the Golden Hurricast, and a lot of stuff has happened in the world of TU sports. One thing that's kind of um, I want to dive into right away, Ryan, is the news on Philip Montgomery's contract extension. Uh, It was announced last week that Tulsa and Philip Montgomery had agreed to an extension in the offseason and that it was signed at some unspecified date during the season, although it kind of seems like it may have been after um, the Temple blowout. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't think it was after the Temple blowout. I I think it was probably signed before then. Um, I don't I mean. I don't know when it would have been because there was no good time to sign this extension really in my mind because things started off so poorly and yeah, the temple blowout was a big win and the second one in a row or or second win in a row at least. But I don't think, I think they probably signed it. I don't know sometime earlier. I doubt they would have waited this long. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how these things work uh, under the radar, but um, yeah, I mean, big news for sure. Definitely the thing to start with this week, Uh, two year extension. So we've got him through, uh, 2024. Now, you know, the con the current contract was scheduled to end in either January or February of 2022. So basically at the end of this season, it would have ended. Uh, you don't want to let these contracts go into their final years, which we kind of have done by mistake here. Um, if he, if it was actually signed during the season, uh, this season, which it sounds like it was. Um, so we extend them, we go through 2024. So basically, you know, we'll have next season, the 2022 season, uh, and that, that you know, it'll be decision time again at the end of next season because otherwise we're letting it go into his final year of contract again. Um, so who knows, man? Like we basically have one more season to figure this thing out. Are we going to give him another two year extension next next year if we go six and six? I don't think so, right? We did a big extension in 2016 after that good year. Uh, it was like a four or five year extension, brought him under contract until 2020, and then we did a two year extension back in 2019, you know, the year before the 2020 contract was supposed to end. And that was what we're up, but that's what we've been in up to basically right now. And so that was supposed to end this, this, this coming January. So now we've got another two year extension here. Uh, that if we do another one next year, that'd be three in a row. That just doesn't seem like that's not going to happen. Right. We're like, we're, we're just playing with fire at this point. Like either Montgomery's going to get pissed off that he's only getting two year extensions and he's going to quit and go, I don't know, do something else. He probably wouldn't cause he can't get a job somewhere else probably. Or we can't do that. We either give him a big extension next year, like we have a great season and we give him like a four or five year extension, or he's gone. If if the decision was already made that we're going to fire him, they would have just done it this season. So I can't see us doing another two year. I could see them doing a four or a five year if all of a sudden we go like nine or 10 wins next season, which is a possibility. Schedule is much easier than it was this year. Um, but I don't think another two year extension is in the cards. So it's going to be tough. You know, I think this is like the, the quote unquote safe play in my mind. You've got a new AD, you've got a new university president. Uh, you've got two years of pretty decent football being played. Um, so I, I see how this was made. It doesn't feel like there's enough to, to change the whole, 
the guard of the football program right now. Um, I think uh, reasonable people can make the argument that that it was time to do it, and we've made that argument before. I think, um, but I, you know, the loudest voices in the room certainly certainly wish he would have been fired. I think a lot of people are happy with him, so I, I'm I'm fine uh, with it just being a two year. Although I don't know if that would have been my first choice. He's just the success in the long term hasn't really been there, right? Thirty seven and forty six. We talk about that all the time in his his total win loss record. Um, two winning seasons in seven years. Although if we win our bowl game this year, it will be three. So the question is like, is that good enough? I don't know. On the flip side, 12 and four in our last 16 conference games. That's pretty damn good, you know, and we now have made two straight bowl games, uh, regardless of how, you know, just whatever, you know, that's, that's pretty solid. Um, and if that continues, all of a sudden it's going to look like a great move to keep Montgomery. And this, this, in a year where we made a bowl game where we had to play two potential playoff teams. You know, Ohio State just lost uh, last week, so they're they're kind of out now, but they were in it all year uh, blowing people out. And then you've got Oklahoma State, who still is very much in contention for making the, the playoff. We almost beat both those teams. So, And, and we've talked about that plenty. And so, yeah, of course, Cincinnati is like, yeah, I'm forgetting the one that's, that's closest to home here. Um, yeah, good point. And so, like, this was a very tough schedule. I think we kind of forget this. I, I went back and looked at... Uh, just like Tulsa's football schedule this year. And what like our best case scenario, I think was us going like a nine and three. I think that's what I said. And that's basically everything going right. Obviously the UC Davis loss sucked. There's no getting around that one. Basically everything else, except for kind of Navy, except not really because we always struggle with Navy is, is a reasonable loss. You've got a loss to a, a potential playoff team in Oklahoma state, a loss to a former potential playoff team in Ohio state, who's still a top 10 team. Um, Houston was a big loss. Shouldn't have been that big, but probably justified to be a loss there in the championship game in the conference this year and look really good. Everything else is a win besides Cincinnati, uh, who is also a playoff team. Um, and then we beat all the teams we should have beaten. SMU was a big question mark. We knew they were going to be good and we pulled that one off. I remember saying in our preseason episode, like, I bet we lose, we, we split Houston and Memphis. And that's exactly what happened. We beat all the teams we were supposed to beat. Um, effectively, except for UC Davis, uh, which uh, again, uh, can't get around that one, but everybody, everything else I think is reasonable. I think this was a, actually a pretty solid season, all things considered. Um, so I don't know. I I'm, I'm up in the air on how I feel about the extension. I know a lot of people want him gone. I love the guy. Like I just want to love Montgomery. I think a lot of people do. Uh, he's clearly a good guy works as works his butt off, uh, for TU. And so when, you know, when he wins a game like SMU and gets us ball eligible, I'm so pumped about that. And I want, I want to like him and I want him to continue representing the university. And his wife is super involved and does all kinds of cool stuff with the end Alzheimer's thing. She does yoga with the team. I love all that stuff, you know, but I feel like I know that next year, again, this is like, we're going to blow one to Jacksonville state or, or Northern Illinois or something. And I'll go through this whole same thing. So you know, I don't want him to get fired. I like him. The players like him. He's a good guy. Been here for seven years. No drama, no scandals, none of that garbage going on. Like he has run a clean program as far as we know, right? No, no one's ever said anything otherwise. So all in all, I think he's, you know, an average coach with above average character. And that's why he's stuck it out here for so long. So we'll see what happens next season. Uh, but I don't know if he's, you know, if he is he the best choice in the long run. Still TBD. Like we'll see if he goes and wins two more. If he go, if he wins nine games next season and ten games the season after that, yeah, I'm sold. I want him to do it. I want him to stay here and do that. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts first, and I just want to reiterate what you just said. Like my 
um, thoughts on Montgomery are not in any way a reflection of like me not liking him as a man or as a person. Um, my thoughts on Montgomery are purely on the football side uh, and like the record that we've seen so far. And so, like you're saying, we won a lot of the games we were supposed to, you know, take out UC Davis, take out, you know, Navy potentially. He's always shown that he just has issues uh, with Navy. But like the two games that really stick out to me still are USF and Tulane. Like Tulane, we won because of a terrible kick for one side, for like how that game ended. Mm-hmm. And USF, like that was way too close of a game. I mean, USF is better than their record. I would agree if, you know, you wanted to make that point. But those are two teams that we both we really struggled with. And it wasn't until super late in the season where you get Temple and then, you know, two minutes left in the first half of SMU onward that we really saw like a consistent Tulsa team. And that's one thing that we just don't see is that there's not a sense of consistency with Montgomery. The games where we win are either like we blow them out offensively or we scrape by uh, because of like a special teams uh like mistakes that just make the games close or, you know, we win on some flukes. And so that's kind of where I just want more consistency on how each game is going to go. Like, I think I saw on Twitter, somebody said ESPN loves Tulsa because you never know at all what you're going to get. Like it could be a shootout. It could be a defensive slugfest. You could have, you know, you take Cincinnati to the goal line, force them to have eight, you know, goal line stands in a row, or you're scoring like every play, like we did against Temple or anything like that. Maybe not the best example. Temple uh, is really bad. <laughs> um, but my other thought is just kind of this is such a weird move from a PR perspective. So if you think like the two times that Montgomery's probably had the most um, fan approval would be when he got his first extension after winning the Miami beach bowl, you know, with Dane Evans going 10 and three that year. Mm-hmm. And then last season after going to the conference championship with Zaven Collins. So if they had agreed to this extension in the off season, I don't know why you don't announce it then because people were big fans of Montgomery. Like we were incredibly hyped on this team at the start of the year. I mean, I think I had us potentially winning 10 games, you know, competing if not for the title uh, game again this year, you know, a close third, maybe fourth, depending on how good Houston was going to be. And we've seen that they've been good. So why did they wait? I just, I guess, you know, maybe part of it is going through the whole president, like getting a new president. Rick Dixon's was new. And I, when did he lose the interim status? Like it was during uh, the off season, like, right? Yeah, it was April or May or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's still plenty of time to, they announced Frank Haith's in March, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, pretty early. So why wait on this one? I, that, that's my confusion. No, I know. I agree. And it's like you say announced, I don't even know if they really, you know, quote unquote announced it. I, they, it was more of like, I think Kelly Hines digging around, finding information about it. And then it, she came out with a story. I didn't see any press release necessarily from TU athletics, um, like, you know, saying, oh, guess what? We're, your man's back. Phillips and Montgomery's back for two more years. I didn't see anything like that. Uh, so it sounds like it feels to me like 
you know, they're kind of embarrassed uh, about it and they didn't want to really publicize it. I don't know what the long term plan is. I'm sure there was one, uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Brad Carson's a smart guy. Rick Disson has been doing this for a long time, so they know how to do these things. But if they actually were happy with the extension and really, truly felt like it was the right move, then you have no reason to not be excited about it and announce it. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, when SMU is trying to come out with their big uh, extension for Sonny Dykes, trying to keep him away from TCU, um, they came out and like were very forthright with what they were trying to do and how they were trying to keep him and didn't want to lose him, obviously, because you don't want to lose a guy like that. But when you've got a guy like Philip Montgomery, who you're not sure if you want to keep or lose, it's, it feels like I don't I don't think TU knows what to do with him. Then you're going to be kind of quiet about it. Uh, and so, yeah. I agree. And, you know, I'll go back to your point on consistency. And I think that's a good one, too. There's just a lot to say there. You know, the staff has been here for a long time. So like on the angle of consistency, we do know, you know, I think, you know, earlier this year, we got some weird shout out uh, from some group online about, you know, the most stable program in the American was to you because the coaching staff has been here. We've had very little player turnover, honestly, compared to a lot of schools in this conference. Uh, we've had some big names turnover, like, you know, Allie Green and Caleb Evans, whatever. But overall, not that many guys are transferring out, which is nice. Um, so, like, we, we've we had this kind of setup for a while, right? Seven seven full seasons at this point. We kind of know what we are, regardless of what the chaotic results on the field um, show. So we know that we know a few things. One, we know that this staff, very good at developing under-recruited guys. They have shown that over and over again into, like, genuinely very talented, like, sometimes NFL caliber players Two, we know they are not very good at coaching discipline, right? Which I think ties into your consistency point, like penalties, slow starts, just general consistency on the field and what we see out of the team every week. That is like not there. It's just wild. Uh, there's no, there's no knowing what you're going to get out of you. It's crazy. And then three, we know that the players love the staff and talk to a former player uh, today, this morning, and have done this previously too. And, he confirmed basically everything we, we thought, which was just like, man, just players love the guy. Players just love this guy. And I see why he's a like he has an infectious attitude about him. Um, he's a fun loving guy. But like part of me thinks that maybe that player love has something to do with the lack of discipline. I don't know if those are tied together, you know, like too much love, uh, not enough hard, you know, tough coaching, whatever. No idea if that's a real thing. Um, but that's a thought I've seen thrown around. So something to something to keep in mind, you know, but. I don't know. It's it's hard to know if this is the right move long term. You know, my, my thought is probably not, um, you know, and the other thing I think is like by keeping him for this long and having, you know, nobody would look at Tulsa's program and say that is a top tier program in the American. We had one year of being a top tier program. Uh, and that, you know, when you say top tier program, that generally means you're going to do that for more than one year. So I don't think you could look at TU and say top tier, you know. And so are we saying by keeping him, are we saying we're just fine with, you know, being mediocre and sometimes above average in the football program? That's that's what it sounds. It sure sounds like that. Right. It kind of comes off that way. And so I wish I had better insight into into where TU's priorities really were like today in 2021. And who knows? You know, we've talked about the leadership turnover with the new president and the new AD. Maybe all those priorities are like rapidly changing. And it used to be one way last year and it is quickly changing to something else uh, whatever, you know, who knows, but it's hard to look at the contract extension we just got and not think we're just fine with being average. At least it wasn't a bigger extension. You know, that's the only thing that gives me some hope. They're like, all right, let's, you know, we just came in the first year in the program as a, as an AD and a president, let's give him another year to see what he's got. Um, got the quarterback coming back, all this stuff. 
see how he see how he does, and we'll make a decision next season. So if that's what it is, that's fine. I'm good with him for another year. I think. Um, so that I think that's where my my opinion lies. Yeah, um, it's just kind of interesting because I feel like we're both in you know the two big sports, basketball and football, are in a very similar place. Like both these contracts, kind of extensions. I mean, I don't know if the terms of Haith ever came out, but I can assume they're not. It's not that long. Uh, so it seems like just some band-aids, you know, attached to it, which I mean, maybe makes sense. Maybe Rick Dixon wants to get some firmer footing before he decides to make, you know, huge sweeping changes across the, you know, the two big programs. But mm-hmm. that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, there's a somewhere in there is a very good blog post about how how these two situations are just like total mirrors of each other. It is crazy. The whole Frank Haith situation. We had a blog post about Frank Haith last year, but like do a follow up to that one about just how similar these two coaching staffs have, have been. Uh, I wonder what their total winning percentage is over these two, you know, over the basically exact same time period that they've been there. Um, I bet it's pretty similar honestly. So like, uh, you know, I, you know, the two, the two, the two and the three win seasons are going to hurt Montgomery. I, I get, I bet Frank Case is actually probably significantly higher than Montgomery's is basketball. He's only had one losing season. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah right. Um, so yeah, it's weird. I bet. Yeah. There's probably something good in there. I'll have to, I'll have to think about that one. Uh, all right, let's move on to SMU. That was enough time on, uh, on the coaching situation, but I'm sure we'll come back to that in, in, uh, in future weeks and bowl season and all that stuff. Uh, before we get to SMU real quick, uh, just a quick note on the transfer portal stuff going on. This is like the big, the big first week of transfers and, uh, coaching changes and coaching carousel and all of this nonsense. So transfer portal is up and running. Uh, the only one though, that from Tulsa that I've seen so far is Sam Crawford. Sam Crawford announced he is going to enter the transfer portal for his final year of eligibility. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. I'm pretty sure that's the only one from TU's program. Bummer to lose him. Big, uh, like obviously a huge name in Tulsa's program. He has done a ton for TU over the years. I saw the announcement from Kelly Hines. She's the one who saw it first, but he put it out on Twitter himself. Um, total 114 catches, 1,623 yards, 10 touchdowns out the last few games with an injury uh definitely will miss him he's a he's a big talent was a definitely a bolster on on that side of the field when josh johnson couldn't get it going and keelan stokes was out with injury he made some big plays so it's that's a tough one yeah bummed to see him go all right smu win 34 to 31 it was a pretty crazy game uh this like i'll, I'll start it off here just a, it felt like a classic classic to you smu game to me i feel like the last three or four games has have happened kind of like this. This one didn't go into three overtimes or anything like that, but um, just crazy. You know, one team jumps out to a big lead early, right? Fast. And then the other team kind of claws their way back. The claw back happened much faster in this game than in previous games. Uh, usually it's a big lead early for one team. The other team like slowly over two or three quarters claws their way back. And then it's a crazy close game at the end. This one, we clawed back in like 18 seconds and then just like took off, you know, right at the end of the first half. Uh, but still similar theme of like a big lead early and then you come back, whatever. Um, it, it was great. I had a, I had a blast. I only got to watch bits and pieces of the first half from my car driving back to Tulsa and choppy signal. So I saw some of that, got back in time to watch basically the entire second half, which was great. Um, it was fun. It was a fun one to watch. The, the game was just awesome. Um this series is all is just awesome. We have played them 28 times. Only eight of those games has a team won by more than 10 points. 
and only two of those games has a team won by more than 20. So there's been extremely little few blowouts here in this, right? Uh, all of them are, you know, generally all of them are, are very, very close. Extremely close series overall to SMU leaves at 15 to 13. Tulsa has won seven of the last 10. So, man, it was awesome. Lived up to expectations. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. Ended up being a great game. Uh, also, I saw that uh, on Twitter. I didn't see this on TV or anything. I don't know if they mentioned it, but uh, Zayvon Collins, Drew Pearson, and Travis Gibson were all there, like at in SMU watching this game. Did you see that? No, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they showed him on camera or something. If they did, I, I didn't see it. Maybe it was in the first half. Uh, but apparently they were all there cheering him on, which was pretty cool. Um, something I'll leave this off with for you, Matt, was the a question that Blake Browning mentioned to us or asked to us, which was a tough question. You know, I, I've got an answer for it, I think, but who knows really. But, you know, you got the Sonny Dykes uh, deal. Uh, he's headed to TCU. That was announced like the day before the game or maybe the day of the game. I can't remember. I think it was before. Um, but he asked, like, did this affect SMU's ability to focus, right? They, he mentioned that they more than doubled their penalty yards that they average uh, for the season. So what do you think? Do you think that that had it, you know, that a bunch, the reason he asked was like a bunch of the players co- come out on Twitter after the Sunny Dykes info news breaks that he's going to be leaving. And the players are saying, you know, doesn't matter. We're, we're playing for each other. We're playing for the city of Dallas. We're playing for, you know, our guys, all this stuff. So do you, do you follow more on that side or do you think this does have an impact? I, yeah, I feel like it definitely has an impact as much as you can say, it's not going to, I mean, on a subconscious level. Yeah, it for sure. And part of it is, like I imagine you want to prove your coach that's leaving wrong or things like that. And that might, you know, force you to play a little bit different game than what you normally would. Yeah, I totally agree. I, yeah, I think there's no way it doesn't impact you, right? Like you it you look at the penalties thing that Blake, Blake mentioned, you know, more than double their average penalty yards um, for the game. And yeah, there's no way. I mean, you've got, first of all, it's a huge game. You're, everyone's watching you know, or paying attention to what you're doing because everybody knows your coach is leaving. So, you know, people are watching you. You're trying, like you said, I think that's a big part of it. Proving everybody wrong, proving you don't need Sonny Dykes to do what you're doing. Um, that gets in your head. And I think, you know, the penalty is the biggest indicator. You're on the line of scrimmage. You're thinking about, you're not, you're not quite as locked in as I think you might normally be. So yeah, I think there's no good out. That's gotta be something that, that impacts you. I mean, there's a reason most coaches aren't there at bowl games. I mean, part of it is so that they can recruit, but also like it's they're definitely a distraction for the players at the time. Like the only one that I can think of in recent history that worked out pretty well was you mean Scott. coaches that are leaving, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scott Frost winning, you know, that bowl game before he left for Nebraska. So yeah, totally agree. Um, but yeah, it was like interesting game, you know, started off down 17, nothing early, which was, I mean, it was, I mean, it was ugly. And so this, I, I caught, like I said, I didn't get to watch, Fortunately, I didn't have to watch uh, much of this 17 to zero deficit because I was in the car, but I did catch several just weirdly very off throws by Davis Brin, just like very short armed, like into the dirt early. Uh, nothing was working offense. We had like 29 total yards of offense in the first quarter. SMU had like 160 something or something like that. So just blowing us out early on. Um, and then, you know, right at the end of the half, we go score two touchdowns in 50 seconds or whatever that stat was. And all of a sudden we've rattled off 31 unanswered points and we're up 31 to 17 after starting, starting off 17 to nothing. I couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah, just, just, just a crazy game. Um, you know, you did have two interceptions from Davis Brin. Honestly, I don't remember what any of those looked like. 
I, you know, I'm just trying to think of like, were, were those just really bad? Through? I think he got hit in the arm on one of them, uh, but I can't remember the other one. Do you remember by chance? Like, were any of them particularly horrible uh, by him or, or not? Uh, just horrible in that they happened at terrible places, like on our eight yard line uh, for oh. the first one, which <laughs> oh, resulted yeah. in a very quick score. Yeah. Um, the second one was <laughs> just that double, you know, Mordecai threw an interception and then uh, we essentially just returned it right back to them. So oh. neither of them were egregious. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, overall, a decent game from him, I guess. But two interceptions is hard to say it's a decent game. But like he played well later. Like it was mostly just the early, early game was really rough for him. I think he started off like two for 12 or something. I can't remember, uh, but f- ended up uh, 18 for 33. So over 50 percent of his passes um, through through one touchdown, the long one to Josh Johnson. That was really nice. Uh, and yeah, you know, speaking of quarterbacks, also we had Braylon Braxton come in, didn't throw a pass, did score his first career touchdown though, as a runner, ran it in there, ran over like two guys to get there a little. Did they not know that's what was going to happen? <laughs> like, did no. they think he was going to come in and pass the ball? Like, you know what? I must, I must just be wrong because it works. I, it keeps working. I don't know. It, I feel like it fails all the time in my head. It never works. Cause like maybe I'm just watching the wrong games. Cause anytime I feel like I watch these guys do these little, you know, we're going to snap it shotgun to the, to the running quarterback. And they're going to run a little like 45 degree angle to one of the directions and go from there, you know, but it worked for Braylon Braxton. Like he's done it before. So SMU knows it's, yeah. it's coming probably. He's, he's three for three, essentially. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's fourth down when, runs too. It's, it's when we do it more uh, than once a game, I guess, but I don't know. That's really the only thing that he comes in for. Yeah. I, it just kind of <laughs> blows my mind. Hey man, if it keeps working, I'll keep being happy about it. But once it starts going for negative yards and like looking like the the later stage of Chad President doing this all the time, that's when I'm going to get upset again. So just, you know, it's just I know it's going to happen. Eventually. I think it would be incredible if we did that and then we it looks like it's going to be negative and then he just hops up, does a little dump off pass and it's a touchdown or something like that. Like that would be the next level and I would just blow my mind. <laughs> See, this is what this is what's happening. We've been building this up for like six years of just running the same quarterback run for six straight seasons with different quarterbacks. And so Monty's just waiting for like some big bowl game. That's when we're going to pull out the fake and then deep pass to score a touchdown to win the game. That's it's a, it's a six year buildup. I'm telling you one of these days, it'll, it'll, one of these days it's coming. I shout at the clouds. So just on Davis Brin, he, I, th- there's just a, like a theory that whenever, I don't know if it's the pressure ratchets up or something, he just looks at his best. So you go back to lane last year, you know, pressure time is running out. He makes great passes to Josh Johnson, the hail Mary to Juan Carlos end of the second end of the first half is coming in, you know, 16 seconds left. Ah, easy pass Josh Johnson touchdown <laughs> like that's where he, he thrives in these situations it's yeah he he can't play when the stakes are too low that's really that is kind of what it feels like like he plays well in in the big games but not when we're like doing fine it's it's he waits till we're down big or whatever you know it happened with SMU too it happened against Ohio State well he played pretty well kind of the whole game against Ohio State uh, but yeah a lot of these yeah, games, like a game against Ohio State these stakes are high the entire like it's a that's true. And I mean, I guess you could look at it one way, like there's really not a lot of pressure because we're not supposed to win. But, you know, to be the underdogs, 
that's just a pressure on its own. So yeah, but then like SMU, he comes out kind of flat, and that was a big game from the get go. You know, you got to win to go to a bowl game. You're already and we were a six and a half point underdog, I think. Um, and we started off, and he can't even he couldn't even throw the ball five yards down the field. Everything was just going straight into the grass. He looked like he was hurt. I saw uh, Palmer on Twitter asking like, "Is he actually? Does he have some injury? <laughs> like, what is going on?" And uh, then he rolls out, you know, halfway through the first quarter and starts to, you know, just just destroy these guys. Yeah. Who knows what actually is uh, like makes him feel under pressure. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm honestly just making stuff up kind of about that, what I yeah. would imagine. But yeah, can't know. Cool. It's his brain. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It, it, it is pretty bizarre. Um, we also almost had Malachi Jones first career touchdown. Almost. He was he was open in the back of the end or like running down the sideline. Unfortunately, right next to like three yards away was Josh Johnson also open. But the throw was like in between the two. So the two guys didn't know who it was for. Malachi Jones was more open. And so if Josh hadn't been there, I am convinced that would have been Malachi Jones first touchdown. Unfortunately, uh, Josh Johnson went for it. And I can't remember. It got I don't know. He couldn't catch it for some reason. Um but yeah, sad. I was really hoping. I saw it. I saw him running down the sideline. I was like, man, it's going to happen. Finally, Malachi Jones, touchdown. And no, unfortunately, batted away or whatever. I don't remember how that actually ended, but he didn't get there. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, another big play. The uh, the crazy uh, uh, non-targeting call on Trayvon Fuller. Right. At, so he got the pick, picked off Tanner Mordecai. Nice interception, jumped the route. Um, really look, looked great right there. Uh, and then... He's running it back, sort of, kind of jogging, trying to figure out where he's going to go. Takes a little cut to the left and just gets just d- demolished by Tyler Levine. I think I think it was Tyler Levine. SMU's running back. Um, smoked him. I mean, just, I mean, on, on TV, even the broadcast people were saying, just like textbook targeting. And the flag was thrown and everything. And they picked up the flag and did nothing. They just went, they didn't even review it for targeting. Just picked it up and play, kept going. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, of, of any targeting call, that's the one that I'm like, yep, totally. Well, there's there are a few that are always like totally targeting, but like that was definitely one of them. I, did you see this one live? Do you know? You know? OK, it was it was ridiculous. Like it was straight to the head, head to head, huge hit blindside. Like he didn't see it coming and he was he had a concussion and a big like cut on his chin. So he's out like he I mean, he might be playing next game. I'm not sure, uh, but he was out the whole rest of this game. Yeah, there's too much judgment. Uh, and subjectivity in the targeting rule. Yeah, but this one's almost one useless. Yeah, I, I couldn't right. believe well, there shouldn't yeah, have been any of It shouldn't one. be because this one looks like, from what you're describing, like a textbook case. But the fact that they don't have to call it, it, I guess, is weird. And I mean, I read that they can review it after the fact still. Uh, so it could be like SMU. Oh, that's true. Player could have a, because it was in the second half. So he could miss the first half of their bowl game theoretically yeah uh, if they call that and then they award us a 15 yards penalty um the next time we play smu it just carries over it's like a it's like a bank i just don't understand yeah yeah exactly i just don't understand why they didn't review it in the game there's nothing stopping you from just taking a look and they had thrown the flag something got in their head to say actually no we're gonna do the opposite of review it we're gonna pick up this flag and just move on i couldn't believe that that was just ridiculous to me yeah it's called the uh, deep pockets of <laughs> smu yeah. uh still got the win it's all it's all that matters okay um that's all i've got on you want to move to players of the game you got more to talk about on this one uh i just thought it was fun um 
if people remember the Oklahoma game from 2014, uh, I believe 20, no, 2015. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, where very similar ending to the half where I think we were down by like 21 or to nothing. Uh, and then we had two quick Dane Evans to, oh, who did he Kears Garrett? Yeah. Uh, honestly, what maybe on both of them and just like silence. You were there, right? You were in Norman. Yeah, and you're right. It was silence is the way to put it, man. It was it was crazy. I was at the game doing my classic thing where I sit with not the TU fans, but I sit right in the middle of the opposing fan base. And oh my gosh, we were getting heckled like crazy all first half because they're just, you know, right at the beginning, everybody's fired up. Usually by the end of the game in these games, if it's a blowout, the fans are like, oh, you know, good, good job. Little Tulsa, you know, it's fine. You guys are nice. Uh, but early in the game, it was like, Heckle time, right? And so that was going on. And all of a sudden we score. It was, yeah, it was two touchdowns in 12 seconds or 14 seconds or something like that to end the first half on like and a Hail Mary to end it, right? Like right at the first half. And oh my gosh, I have never heard that stadium so quiet. It was just no it was wow, it's a seven point game at halftime. We were just up by 21. It was awesome. One of the coolest, one of the coolest things that's ever happened at a away game for me. Wow. Dane Evans, 427 yards. <laughs> yeah. Zach Langer, 161 yards rushing, 189 oh, yards receiving for Kiaris Garrett. Uh, Keevan Lucas, 84 yards. Josh Atkinson, 104. Man, that was a team. Those were the days, man. Zach Langer, that's a name I haven't thought about in a long time. I wonder what he's up to these days. He was a good player. He was a big physical runner. Kind of like that Zach Levine from SMU we just played. I feel like they were, they were kind of similar guys. Yeah, I played him in a slow pitch softball at a T against him. And <laughs> Zach Langer, did you win? No, it was uh. awful. We were we were beating them bad. It was like a playoff game for intramurals. And then Montgomery shows up because their entire team was just football players. Yeah. Uh, and then they learned that they could just hit it over uh, out of the stands and that they didn't have to do anything. So <laughs> these guys are all jacked and just like we were up by like 15 and then lost by like six or something did they not know that they could hit it far before well i think i think they were just adjusting to the sport uh (laughs) and then once they figured it out it was game over yeah (laughs) uh that is funny man good stuff all right let's do players of the game do you want to start it off or do you want me to start i will start us off on offense all right go ahead okay so my offensive player of the game Um, some would say that this game, he created a new masterpiece in photography. Uh, he is the subject of a picture where he is praising the heavens. The referee is praising the heavens and SMU's pony is very sad. (laughs) This is Josh Johnson had an incredible game. Uh, one thing in particular is he single-handedly with the help of Davis Brin, so not single-handedly, but flipped over our win expectancy by 35% in the span of about 18 seconds. Uh, part of that is he just had that a phenomenal touchdown. I mean, 16 seconds left, Brin hit him perfectly on the outside shoulder. What we really wanted to see in Tulane, uh, that game, I talked about how frustrating it was there, had much better um, I guess throw catch on this side. So touchdown. And then he had two really good catches on that first touchdown drive just to open up the second half. So Josh Johnson, six receptions, 117 yards, one touchdown. He's been, 
ah, man, it's tough because I don't want to say like our most consistent um, just because he's had games where he's had drops so far this year, um, you know, and it's he's always kind of hot or cold. But he has been I would I mean, he's been our best wide receiver this season. Yeah, no doubt. Totally. Yeah, he, he totally has. He's probably been our most consistent, too, even though he, you're right. He has had some games where he's kind of fallen off and done some things that make you scratch your head a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think of all the guys, you know, especially Keelan Stokes being out um, for basically most of the most of the year. Uh, he's the one right. Ezra Naylor has kind of he's had a game or two where he's, you know, popped up there. Sam Crawford's been up there. Uh, JC kind of a down year. I don't know. I'm not looking at his stats, but I we haven't called his name that often on the podcast. So I'd, I'd say probably a downer one from him. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna finish with probably just over 600 yards, where Josh Johnson will be over a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Is he the only over a thousand? I assume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. I, there, it's it's hard to even give it to anybody else in this one. I was gonna give it to Josh Johnson too. He had an awesome game, over 117 yards receiving just in this game. He obviously, had the the nice long touchdown catch. Uh, great game from him. I think the only like the only person I want to give it to sort of is Braylon Braxton for his first career touchdown. Just give him a shout out, but he certainly wasn't the well, you know the overall player of the game or anything. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna go with you and, and say Josh Johnson as well. He had an awesome one. Yeah. Anthony Watkins had a really good, uh, his good touchdown and yeah, sorry. Was that the first touchdown of the game? Not of the game. Or I mean for, for to you. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he kind of got things moving. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Sorry, so he ahead. scored like one Oh six left, left in the half. And then yeah, we scored on our next drive right after again. Nice. Uh, were you going to say something else about him too? When I cut you off? Oh, um, yeah, just so if you look at it for, I believe he leads college football in yards per attempt or yards per rush. He's like 7.6. No uh, way, man. Season. That is awesome. I mean, I'm not that that makes sense. But like leading college football in anything is just crazy. So like I know that he has he's I know he's got to have a, a really good one. But number one, that is that is pretty sweet. Yeah, over so many attempts. Like Keelan Stokes technically has more yards per attempt than he does <laughs> yeah. uh, with two for 16 yards, but yeah. I would say above a certain threshold, whatever yeah. that is. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, all right, you want me to take off with defense player of the game? Yes, sir. All right, so tough one here. Lots of good defensive performances. Up and down uh, the box score and up and down just watching the game. Lots of good guys here to pick from. So it's hard... I don't know. So just pick one here. Like part of me wanted to give it to Jackson player because you had the whole like awesome storyline of he's playing his high school quarterback. He and Tanner Mordecai played on the same high school team and all that stuff. He's been looking forward to this game for years. They were like DMing back and forth before the game. Uh, just like, you know, friendly chat and all this. So, and he had a great game. You know, he got half a sack. I thought he should have had the full sack there. I think Goodlow is given credit for the other half of that one. Looks like it was basically all Jackson to me on that one, but whatever. Uh, so got got credit for a part of a sack there. Five total tackles. So like, man, I was all, I almost gave it to him. But then you've got like Trayvon Reeves, who I haven't called his name hardly at all this year, partly because of injury, and he also missed the game due to suspension or whatever. But um, he had he he like busted out this game. Two tackle for tackles for loss, nine total tackles, four solo. Great game from him. Uh, and then you've got but like the thing, and you know Justin Wright always there doing well. But the guy I think I'm going to give it to. Uh, is Anthony Goodlow. Um, I mentioned he had the kind of half sack with Jackson player and he had a great game, but he also had a whole another one on his own, a solo sack. Um, 
I saw today that uh, the Draft Network at thedraftnetwork.com gave him their Defensive Player of the Week award in the American. And so I took a second look at his stats, and that's kind of what brought me on on his angle. And he just he did. He had a great game. I remember seeing him, and, and I saw his name several times come up during that game. He looked like he was having a great one. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to give it to him, although the defense in general after the first you know quarter and a half played a great game in this in this one. Yeah, those are all three really good. Uh, the one that I selected was purely on a momentum shifting uh, play of the game. And so that is Trayvon Fuller just because of that interception. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he had a good game overall, like five tackles. He had a tackle for a loss, a pass deflected, and the interception. So stat-wise, you know, solid. Not the best on the team or anything, but... If you look at the context of that interception, so we had just taken the lead 21 17 at this point. And so like the momentum is back in our hands. We are kind of in control of this game, but Tanner Mordecai, incredibly dangerous quarterback at any times uh, for, I mean, he set the record for SMU for most touchdowns in a season. Yeah. Uh, at one point he was on pace to, you know, be a top 10 of the entire like college football any season. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, always a threat in what they can do. And so picking him off right after we score is a great, just not a nail in the coffin based on, you know, what else and how much time's left in the game, but that just changes the face of the game completely. Um, I won't, I will ignore the fact that we then turned it over right after, (laughs) but like, that is just a huge shift in the momentum. I feel like we kind of just started snowballing after that. Mm-hmm. So I would say just on that uh, criteria alone. Yeah, it's a good pick. He had a great game. Uh, hopefully he's back and, and healthy enough um, for next game. And, you know, in, in the bowl game, obviously he's going to have some time off to recover. So hopefully he'll be back for that one. Uh, but yeah, that was it. Yeah, definitely a good game for him. All right. Take us away. Special teams. Okay. Um, there's only one man who can be a special teams player of the game, and that is, you know, the GOAT, Zach Long. He, so just on this game, six for six, two field goals, four extra points. Like at this point, you got to wonder where he fits into for Tulsa's like scoring. Yeah. Um, like all time. Yeah. Right. I remember like when Redford Jones was here, he was he was like up on TU's all time scoring leaders, too, because he was he was another really good kicker. Yeah. So he's got one hundred and fifty points. I mean, that's all just within the last two years. So mm-hmm. he's ninety five percent on field goals. He's missed a single field goal. And that was from 50 plus like to miss only one and it to be an incredibly difficult kick in the first place. That's impressive. 32 of 33 for extra points. Like it's wild. I talked about Tulsa being like inconsistent across the field. And a lot of that for the last couple of years has just been our kicking game has been, um, left much to be desired. And we don't have to worry about that. Like Tulsa hop said it best, uh, during the temple game that, you know, what a world we live in where we have, zero concern that we're going for a 47 yard field goal. 
It is. And for it to be Zach Long is just amazing. Like, I am still so surprised about this whole development. You know, coming last year, he he had an okay gear. He, he was pretty shaky on, on both field goal kicking and, and long distance kicking, like place kicking. And now he comes in and has one missed field goal this season. I never would have thought that. I never, I, I would have bet money that he would be, you know, probably benched in favor of Tyler Tipton this year, uh, whatever. But no, it totally didn't happen. It's been the total flip. He's looked like the best kicker in the conference. It's a damn shame that he's he's not even a semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award, which is the uh, college football award for the best kicker. Um, he might be in there for like the best walk on. I'm not sure. He might be in there for that one, but he's not in there for the Lou Groza Award, which is a shame. I think he's like for him to come in and do this is just amazing. He's had an awesome season. One missed field goal, like you said. Perfect game this game. Totally deserves special teams player of the game. Should be on the Lou Groza semifinalist award. Uh, but he's not. So shame there. But yeah, agree. He had an awesome game and continues to do great. He is currently uh, 18th in total scoring for University of Tulsa. There you go. Where is uh, is it Redford Jones that I was thinking of? Is he on that list? Yeah, Redford Jones. I mean, he's 319 total points. So is he number one? Yeah. Yeah, nah, I knew it. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So I think if Zach had like another year, he could jump up so he'll probably pass d'angelo brewer Corey taylor eric richardson uh depending on how many kicks he makes that's pretty crazy who's like yeah. one through five so we got redford jones at three i mean so the first the top four are kickers i will just tell you that wow. uh redford jones <laughs> kickers almost always are yeah i know redford jones kevin fitzpatrick uh jared tracy and brad devault and then alex singleton is ah. the first non-kicker Nice. That's cool. Then Terion Adams, Charles Clay, Keevan Lucas, Shamari Brooks, Damaris Johnson round up the 10. Yeah. And it's always you, like, uh, what website is this? Is it on TU? Sports reference. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you, yeah, because quarterbacks are only given if they like have a rush or reception. Yeah. Or else it would be all quarterbacks. Yep. Nice. That's pretty cool. Good stuff. Uh, okay, let's move on here. Uh, do you want to talk about bowl game next? Bowl game possibility stuff? I don't have a ton to say on it, really, but... No, I mean, there's like five possibilities, plus the the one that must not be named. <laughs> you mean the we don't get to a bowl game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that the one team is going to miss out, which, which uh, I mean, oh my God, that would just suck so bad. You got to think it's not going to be us because we're in a the bit the best uh, G five conference still uh, for the time being until all of our good teams leave. Uh, but currently, we're still there and we're like sixty sixth in or sixty fourth or something in SB plus. Uh, so yeah, but like yeah, eighty three bowl eligible teams, forty one bowl games. Do the math. That means there are eighty two bowl slots. Yeah, one team is going to miss. Going to be a six and six team. It better not be us, man. Oh my God. That would just be horrible. We can't, it, I'd be surprised, right? We're 64th in SB plus other six and six teams that are G five that are worse than us are Miami of Ohio, Memphis, who we beat and who has already accepted a bowl invite is in there. So we got to be there. Wyoming, middle Tennessee state, old dominion, North Texas and ball state. Who's like 115th or something. Right. Uh, so Gotta think it's not gonna be us. I do get a little bit scared because I saw a quote um, from I can't remember who said I didn't attribute this quote when I wrote it in my notes. 
damn, sorry, listeners, but you're going to have to take my word for this one. It's a quote from somebody. Uh, and they, it was back from 2018 and four teams with six and six records got left out because of, uh, you know, what I just said. And the quote was when it comes to ball selections, a lot of good teams available, justifying a 500 team that isn't in a power conference and didn't win its conference is tough when there are a lot of worthy teams out there with bigger followings that can help with ticket sales and TV ratings. It's hard to be a smaller program with a smaller fan base. Ball and TV executives aren't that worried about team quality in the first place, but they do care about ratings and attendance draws. When there's a surplus of teams, it's easy for mid-majors to get shut out. That's what happened to these guys. So I read that quote, end quote. I read that quote and I get very scared about TU because what are they saying there? They just said that team quality doesn't matter. They just want TV ratings and attendance. We're the smallest school of all these schools. That's bad. That's bad news. I don't think we're going to be the school that misses it because we are like, we have played a heck of a schedule. We have still six wins. We've played some big name teams that people watched. You got to think that we make it. But like when I read that quote, I get a little bit nervous, uh, you know, so hopefully it doesn't happen. Um, but it is something to be slightly concerned about. I did see that like uh, somebody on Twitter, a guy that we follow, Bob Campbell, I think he used to play for TU way back. Um, he said he was at the SMU game and he said, you know, it's just uh, I'm taking his word for it here. But he said he was at the he was at the game in SMU and he said the Frisco Bowl boss was at the game in SMU and they spoke with him. So he thinks it's going to be the Frisco Bowl. He didn't say what they talked about, uh, but he was at the game and Bob talked with the guy. So take that for what it's worth. Could be worth nothing, but, you know, could be worth something. So who knows? The Frisco Bowl, by the way, is not really a conference tie-in. Uh, you know, it's it's us, you know, somebody from the AC versus general group of five or army. So could be any other group of five team or army. Um, so we'll see the other ones. Uh, I saw Kelly Hines put on Twitter. Um, I think it was yesterday. She said that she's seen Tulsa projected for the Frisco bowl. Like we just said, that seemed to be the first one for that. Bob mentioned, uh, the new Mexico bowl, the quick lane bowl, the Hawaii bowl and the Fenway bowl. Uh, Fenway was her preference. Fenway bowl is versus an ACC opponent. So that'd be very cool. Um, I didn't see any mention in her tweet of, uh, you know, some of the other ones that we have tie-ins for, at least according to collegefootballnews.com, which are like the Military Bowl uh, versus the ACC also, um, the Cure Bowl, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, uh, the Boca Raton Bowl, Birmingham Bowl. Personally, pulling for the Birmingham Bowl because, I mean, I you know, Kelly didn't mention it at all, so there must be some reason it, it, it's not in the running here. But Birmingham Bowl is against an SEC opponent, and... Who is in the SEC that we're both grew up being fans of? Mizzou. Mizzou also six and six and not a great SEC team. So if we were going to play an SEC team, it could be Mizzou. So if we can get the Mizzou Tulsa matchup, I've been waiting for for like eight years now. This could happen. I don't think it's going to, but that if I could just pick my ball game, it would be Tulsa versus Mizzou in the Birmingham Bowl on December twenty eighth. Hmm. Sports Illustrated doesn't have us making a bowl. Yeah, she said projection. two. She said two places, like not even just one website, but two websites had us being the one that doesn't make it. That is horrifying. CBS, I think, had us at the Hawaii Bowl against Wyoming. Okay. Yeah. Wyoming, I think, is a six and six or something, too. I don't think they're very good. But yeah, um, honestly, it doesn't matter. I just want to just just give me a bowl game. I just don't want to be the team that misses out. You complain about the matchup at another time. As long as we get as long as we get a game, I'll be happy. 
if we don't get a game, very, very unhappy. Same. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add on ball stuff? Uh, quick move on to around the American before we do a little bit of basketball. All right. Let's do it. Um, so I'm going to talk less about scores in the American this week and take a different angle on around the American and talk about some coaching carousel stuff. Uh, only two to mention, but both obviously very noteworthy whenever you've got a head coaching change in the conference. So the first one, Temple fires Rod Carey. I think we mentioned that earlier in the episode. Or that was that before we started recording? I didn't think we had talked about it uh, since lunch. Oh, shoot. Maybe that was lunch. Well, that was a long time ago. Everything runs together these days. Anyways, Temple fires Rod Carey. Uh, it needed to happen so bad. So bad. Temple was just a disaster and have been basically since last year um, and even before that. So honestly, like it needed to happen. He needed to go. But I'm kind of surprised that they did it. Despite everything, they got all these rumors that he is. Uh, you know, there were all kind of unsubstantiated rumors out there. They probably happened. Who knows? But lots of rumors out there about him. You can Google around if you want the specifics. Um, but, you know, despite all of that and their horrible record and everything else, I'm still kind of surprised they fired the guy because they gave him a six year contract when they hired him. And it was it is just such a mess for them. They gave him a monster contract. The reason they did it is because they kept losing their successful head coaches to all these other schools. Right. You've got Al Golden goes to Miami. You've got Steve Adazio goes to Boston College. Matt Rule goes to Baylor and most, or I guess not most recently, Jeff Collins goes to Georgia Tech. And then most, most recently, Manny Diaz goes to Miami after like one month or whatever. Um, so they, they, was it, was it even a month? I probably, thought it was no, like, it was like, it was know, a day, right? No, I don't think it was a day. Oh, I think it was longer than that. Oh God. It, no, I think it was probably a couple weeks or something. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Just under three weeks. Gotcha. Okay. So under, yeah, under three weeks. So Manny Diaz. And so then all of this happens. They lose all these good coaches or mostly good coaches. Um, some of those, not so much, but whatever. Mostly good coaches. They lose them. Power five. They don't want that to happen again. So they get this guy, Rod Carey, who took over, I think, Northern Illinois and like got worse every year. And then they hire him and give him a monster contract. Just so six year contract paying him two million dollars a year and so you know this is the third year he's there the first two seasons on that contract it was a 10 million dollar buyout to buy him out so they at least made it past the first two years before they pulled the trigger the third year it drops to an eight million dollar buyout so that's what they're paying they got this guy after many coaches that were successful with temple decide all right now it's time to pony up and pay some money and they do it to Rod Carey, who just tanks them. And now they're paying this guy $8 million to not coach their team. Oh, man, it is a train wreck. Really sucks for Temple. Because, like, they were fun. They were fun when Matt Rule was there. They were rolling people. Um, that uh, PJ Walker, yeah, Philip Walker, when he was with Temple, man, that was that was awesome. And then he played in the XFL two seasons ago. And I, I was like the, uh, the the Texas team. I can't remember the name. And they, they were just a blast to watch. Then he actually did kind of well with Carolina this year before they brought in Cam, whatever. Um, super fun. So, man, it just it hurts. Like they are just easily the worst team in the conference right now. Not even close. And like they're getting they're getting they're going down like the other worst team is USF. And they're at least going the other direction. So really hurts for them. I don't know who they're going to hire. Uh, maybe they'll just drop football and join the A-10 as uh, as. People suggest that they should, which would be kind of interesting, but whatever. Um, really sucks for them. 
Uh, the other big coaching hire, much more, much more straightforward and easy, has been SMU, who lost Sonny Dykes to probably TCU. Although I told you today, I saw some weird report saying that OU is somehow interested in Sonny Dykes. Probably just a rumor or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, Sonny Dykes gone for whatever that's. Uh, go ahead. That'd be hilarious if they like if TCU had signed him and then OU just paid to buy him out of that contract before he even that would be. Like not a good move on OU, but it would be pretty hilarious. It would be hilarious, but they'd be doing I that is I mean, that's it's bad. It's like Miami is not happy that they did that now for Manny Diaz. Like he's probably gonna get fired this year still today, and they did the same thing to Temple. It'd be the same situation. Sonny Sonny Dykes is not gonna fill the gap left by Lincoln Riley in any form. He is a fine coach. He's does he obviously runs a good offense, can recruit. He's not I don't think he's OU level uh, for success. So I have man, I hope they don't do that. I don't know. I don't really have any feelings one way or the other towards OU. So I guess I don't super care, but that would just be wild. Um, but yeah, so Sunny Dyke's gone from SMU, probably going to TCU. We'll see uh, unless something crazy happens. SMU turns right around like it was like hours later. They announced that they were going to hire Rhett Lashley or like all the reports started coming out. That, that was going to be the guy. So they must have known that this was coming or was very likely to happen and started looking right away. Found their guy, former offensive coordinator for SMU anyway, went to Miami to be with Manny Diaz as his OC. Um, now he's back. Easy peasy, uh, like took no time at all. He was announced as the head coach formally already today. Talked to the team, all that stuff. It's done. So where Temple just drew out this horrible process of going through the gutter with Rod Carey. SMU turned it around in like two days and it already has their new head coach and uh, signed, sealed, delivered, easy, easy peasy. So just two totally different scenarios there. And then third and finally, the craziest change of all in the American this week, not Temple firing Rod Carey, not SMU losing Sonny Dykes and Rhett Lashley coming in. It's Fear the Wave blog, losing esteemed writer J.P. Gooderham. 12 years he's been doing it over there 12 years he started as an undergrad uh so man like he's been doing this for a long time he put out a Substack uh newsletter post about you know how he's leaving and, and what it's been for him and all this stuff and he included some pictures from like when they first started like he was still in college at Tulane there was some awesome stuff I'll put the link to the Substack uh website in the in the show description um, you should go read it. Even if you don't care anything about JP or about Fear the Wave or Tulane, it's just a cool story. Uh, it's just really cool. They they got to do some cool stuff early on and um, have made a big, I think, a, a, you know, of all of the podcasts and blogs that we are around, the biggest impact on us and on AAC Twitter and Blogosphere and all of that. Um, and, and just like G5 coverage, you've got Chris Vanini from The Athletic interacts with them often and like replied to their tweet and said, hey, you know, paid way more attention to the group of five and Tulane because of you guys, you know, all this big name people uh, all of a sudden reaching out and saying, hey, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing. So sad to see him leave. One of the best guests we ever got to have on our show. Fortunately, we got to have him several times. I got to go on his and always, always really enjoyed it. So going to miss talking with JP on our show a lot. Um, but man, at least we got the time then that we did. Yeah. Everything that you said more. I mean, he's been one of, oh man, was he our first um, like guest that we ever talked to? I feel like he was up there uh, and at least the list that we had about people <laughs> yeah. that we wanted to interview with. So, yeah. No, our first ever interview was Hunter Hart from Rain Cane Sports. Right. Yeah. Passed the torch. You know, it was great. 
And that, that was super fun for sure. Uh, but yeah, JP, I think we got him in our, I can't remember if it was our second season or third season. We didn't really start doing actual lots of interviews until last season. Yeah. Uh, but we might've gotten JP in, in the second year just cause we knew we wanted to talk to him. Yeah, I think we did. Um, yeah. Year two. Nice. We would have talked to them in uh, the podcast that first year, I think, or second year. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> they were like the only two we knew. We were like, Hey, you guys do the same kind of thing we do. And we want to be just like you come on our show. And it worked. All right. Okay. Um, let's move on do some basketball stuff. Um, I'll be honest here because of holidays and the general crazy overlap between football, basketball, men's soccer, and whatever else has been going on for the last like two or three weeks. Uh, I have pretty much only watched our home games. So I honestly, I'm not going to have a ton to say about basketball this week. Like, I don't. Did you get to watch like the Rhode Island game or the Utah game or anything like that? Well, the Utah game was impossible to watch for anybody unless you wanted to pay like 30 bucks. For oh, was Flo that the Sports one on SoFlow Sports or, or not? So yeah. Flow Sports. And it was also the same time as our uh, game soccer game against Creighton. Uh, so I was watching that. But <laughs> yeah. no, I didn't watch the Rhode Island. I didn't even watch the uh, the Little Rock one yesterday that they pulled off uh, two days ago, whenever that was. Um yeah, Saturday. It was a good uh, Tulsa sports day, except for one. Sad. Um, yeah, no, I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I just thought it was par for the course that as soon as I was super down on the team and talked about how we weren't going to win any games, we beat both Oregon State and Rhode Island um, that same week, getting a B win already for the season, yeah. uh, which is huge because we only had two opportunities in our non-conference schedule to even have those games. And one of them was reliant on beating Rhode Island to get a chance at Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we pulled off the first one. Uh, didn't look super great. Uh, I mean, Utah just outplayed us through most of that game based on, um, you know, I didn't watch it, but everything that I was reading and statistically. So, um, and then I know Pritchard had a really strong game, uh, looked really good against Little Rock, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the big takeaways that I had other than Dry Horn, Sam Griffin are easily our top players. Dry Horn is <laughs> far and away our best offensive player. Um, but much like we talked about a lot a couple of years ago when he was here, he is good on offense, but he is not that much of a asset on defense. <laughs> yeah, a nice way of saying it. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, I, yeah, I, like I said, I don't have a ton to say here, but like the, there are some interesting notes. Um, the best win of the season so far is, is against Rhode Island. Like you said, the B win, uh, almost led to another B win against Utah, but couldn't pull that one off. What we thought would be a good win. Oregon state has turned into a very, like just a meh win. They are now one in six after they were picked. I'm pretty sure fourth in the pac 12 in the preseason. So starting off one and six is is just horrible for them. Uh, let me pull them up real quick. Yeah, they have lost to. They haven't played any like just horrible teams um, except for their first. Uh, no, never mind. They lost to Samford, who's number two hundred and forty two. Uh, Princeton one fifty three. We are currently one forty one. Uh, so they lost to them um, and us, obviously. Uh, but one and six, man, like that is what, what looks like a pretty solid win, uh, when we pulled that one off has, has gone down the tubes pretty quick. So that's, that's a bummer for sure. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Jirai Horn, Sam Griffith, clearly, clearly our best two. They're actually tied uh, in in scoring for the team right now. 17.3 points a game for both of them. Um, big drop off after those two. I think third is like Darian Jackson at like eight or something. So it's like double everybody else are Jirai Horn and Sam Griffin. Um, something else I noticed just looking down, you know, how things have been going. Very surprised how little Ladavius Drain has played. Uh, you know, he was talked about a lot preseason is the reason I'm surprised. I, based on how he's looked when he's been out there, I'm not sure if I'm really complaining about that. And we haven't seen a ton from him. He's one for eight on threes. Um, I just thought we'd see more minutes by now. He's getting like five minutes a game or something crazy like that. Uh, totally thought it would be more, uh, at this point in the year, especially early in the season. So I don't know if something's up, but yeah, haven't seen much Ladavia strain. Um, but yeah, agree. Like Sam Griffin looks great. Dry horn. Obviously we know what we're getting from him. He's, he's has not disappointed at all. Uh, and yeah, I saw, I saw the same things about Anthony Pritchard looking really good against little rock. I think he, it sounded like he was a big key in that game of actually getting that win. I didn't see any of the game, uh, again, but like, I, I like his game. He looks smooth out there. He looks confident as a freshman. So as we start watching more and more as the holidays take a little three week break here until we miss some more because of Christmas, uh, definitely will be paying more attention to, to Pritchard for sure. Yeah, and I've, maybe I was a little harsh on uh, Dry Horn by calling him not a defensive asset, but I mean nobody on our team is not really... even harsh. That's just I mean that's true. I think he knows. I think he would probably I, he would probably say he's not the best defense player on this team. Yeah, and that is nobody on our team is really that great. Uh, if you look at purely at the defensive rating, uh, you know that Sports Reference does. He is our second best third best defender at 99.6 Jariah Horn. Yeah. But that is just straight up. Not true. I I mean, <laughs> this is what let's I mean, the rating sure. But like he, nobody right. would look at our team and watch the games and say, that's your third best defender right there. Well, yeah, it's just everybody's, everybody's negative on defensive box plus minus, And everybody is like almost over a hundred points on defensive mm-hmm. rating. So yeah, like Anthony Pritchard is our best uh, and then Curtis Haywood somehow. He's actually, I, he, I, I have actually noticed him do some good things okay. on defense. Very few good things on offense, but I have seen some decent, decent defense things from him. Yeah. So then Dryahorn Horn and Ray Doe are the only other two under 100 after those two. So, I mean, Darian Jackson's our best defensive player. So I don't know where he's at in the ratings, but like he's he at the end of the season, he will be there. Right. Yeah. I'm just as of right now. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, we do have two games this week. ORU tonight as of Monday night, we're recording. I think that game starts in like 19 minutes, 20 minutes. I think it starts at seven o'clock. might be seven 30. Not sure. It's in oral. It's at oral Roberts in the maybe center. Um, ORU one seventy seven in Ken Palm went 18 and 11 last season. Everybody knows also made the sweet 16, uh, big year last year. Right. So, so far this season, they are three and three, not looking too great. I already said one seventy seven in Ken Palm. They have no none of those three wins are over a D1 team. They are all D2 wins and then or or lower. And then they have a loss. One of their losses is to number 341 Central Arkansas. Not saying we don't have a bad loss as well because we totally do, but something to bring up, I think. Um, but most recently, they lost Oklahoma State, who's like number 20 or number 40 something in Ken Palm by one in overtime. So clearly they can play. They obviously still have talent. They still have Max Asmus, uh, nation's leading scorer, pretty sure last year. Um, Lost last year, it was like Asmus and Kevin O'Banner. They're two big time, big name guys, you know, uh, lost O'Banner. So he's gone. He transferred to Texas Tech in the offseason. So they lose him. 
still have their leading scorer in Acemas. And then they pick up Trey Phipps from OU, who went to Booker T here in Tulsa. And that was a big get. So a lot of people thought they'd keep that momentum rolling uh, from the Sweet 16 appearance last year. Uh, but it seems, I mean, they could still, you know, uh, some new new faces on the team for sure. But not a good start to the year for ORU, uh, especially like they lost their opener by like 30 or something to like a mediocre team. I think it was Colorado State or something like that. Um, so surprised to see that for sure from Oral Roberts. So hopefully we win. Ken Palm has us losing this game. By one, it's like a 49% confidence thing. So they're, they're not confident in it at all. But um, I like, oh boy, I don't know. I mean, it's always a good one, I suppose. It's, it's been close over the years between us and ORU. Uh, but with how they started the season, and I mean, at least how we were playing in the last three games or so, um, you got to think that we're going to win this one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm always um, a little hesitant because Pat Fox had a theory that you know, you can judge the entire season based on the Oral Roberts game. So <laughs> if we win, we're going to have a poor season for the rest of the year. And if we lose, we're going to have a really good year. And this is going to be like a defining loss that keeps us out of the tournament. <laughs> so I really don't know what to expect. I mean, in theory, I think we're the better team um, just based off of, you know, games played so far and how we've looked compared to how they've looked outside of, you know, outside of the OSU game, which you know, outside of the OSU game, we've definitely looked better um, in that, you know, that was a loss for them. They lost by one in overtime, but that loss to Colorado State. I mean, I don't think when we play Colorado State, we're going to lose by 29. You know, <laughs> it was like 109.80. Granted, Colorado State is like 51 in Kempom at this point. So it's a B game for us. It was an A opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And it's, is it like a true road game i mean kind of it's our first actual road game but it's still in tulsa so it's always just an interesting in oh like is that the game almost, with the bok center no i'm talking this oral roberts game um oh, 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 oh. specifically so is our first we, well real quick just to make sure i'm on the right page here. we do play colorado state this year don't we or we no? do yeah it's a neutral game okay gotcha sorry go on at in fort worth i think oh yes that's right um but no i was just like the oral roberts game Technically an away game still in Tulsa. So it's kind of that weird away, but home, but also not. So yeah, I don't know. I always feel like anything can kind of happen, especially this is a year where I feel like we are very closely matched when it comes to just where our programs are at. Yeah. And like they obviously have serious talent, like Ace Miss, like probably could have put his hat into the NBA draft last year, decided not to. Trey Phipps was a huge recruit out of Tulsa, obviously went to OU and then transfers to ORU. I think his dad was an ORU assistant or something like that. Um, so like there's definitely talent on this team. I think the uh, Carlos Jurgens or Jurgens, um, I feel like he, I, I remember his name from the NCAA tournament last season, made some big contributions in there somewhere. It's like, there's definitely talent. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, maybe they're just, you know, got, got all hyped up on expectations this season and are kind of falling off a little bit, but. I'd be surprised if they didn't turn it around in a big way because there is definitely talent on that team. And then the other game uh, is on Friday, December 3rd, Boise State, one of the bigger ones on our non-conference schedule. They are number 68 in Ken Palm. Uh, pretty solid team. They are also 3-3 three and three this season. Uh, they have beaten some better teams than uh, than Oral Roberts so far. They have wins over Temple, who's in our conference, who is not, not super great. Uh, but they've also beaten Ole Miss and they've beaten Utah Valley, who is also uh, very, very bad. 
Um, but they do have some wins. So, you know, I think there's, there's, there's some good stuff in here. Like Temple is number 133. Ole Miss is number 72. So there's, those are solid win. I mean, especially Ole Miss. That's, that's a pretty good win. Um, and they're like extremely senior heavy. I looked at their roster earlier today. Um, they've got three, like I think probably their three biggest contributors, all seniors, six, eight senior guard, Emmanuel Acott. Uh, assume that's how you say his last name leads them in points and assists. They've got another six, seven senior uh, forward, Abu Kigab, another big contributor. And then a six, 10 senior forward, Mladen Armas leads them in rebounds and blocks. So definitely a senior uh, laden team on this one. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how this one will go. I haven't watched any Boise State basketball this season. I don't know what to expect from them. Uh, they're number 68 in Ken Palm. So much better than us, more than uh, half of our Ken Palm at one, where I think we're 141 right now. Uh, they did lose to UC Irvine, who's pretty good. They lost to St. Bonaventure, who's even better than them. And then they lost to Cal State Bakersfield, who is bad at number 202. Yeah. Can you imagine being at that Cal State Bakersfield and losing 46 to 39? Oh, my like, God. That was the score? Yeah. Putting up 39 oh, points against number 202, Cal <laughs> Bakersfield. Like, that reminds me, like, the TUK State game from a couple of years ago oh, yeah. was similar, but at least that one, that was against a ranked team at the time. Like, that yeah, was a, a huge power five team, and we won us. at least. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that was a defensive slugfest, or like when we beat Wichita State a couple of years ago, um, you know, on Elijah Joyner's uh-huh. uh, buzzer beater. And it's like that was a really low scoring game, but still exciting. Like this one, just 39 points. That is like uh that's like middle school scoring levels. That is bad. I mean, I don't I know we've been in the in the low 40s before too, but it's never fun. It's never a good game uh or it's never like a fun one to watch. The K-State win was not a fun game to watch. I guess the only exception would be the Elijah Joiner crazy. What was the score of that game? The K-State 47-46. No, no, the uh, the Joiner uh over over Wichita State. Oh. Um that one was 54-51. Okay, it's a little bit better there. Yeah, 39 to 41. That is just brutal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so 68. I mean, that'd be a good win if we can pull it off. It's on the road. It's going to be tough. Um, solid team there. Both away ga- Both these games are away games. So ORU, obviously, we talked about them already. That's that's at ORU. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think I think we'll... I thought we would split Oregon State and Rhode Island, and we ended up winning both of those. Obviously, I talked about uh, Oregon State turned into kind of a downer, but... I remember thinking that we would split those. We won them both. I think we'll probably split these as well. I think we'll beat Oral Roberts, lose to Boise State. Maybe we'll get them both. Maybe we'll lose to them both. Nothing would surprise me at this point. I have no idea what to think about Tulsa basketball so far. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I So I was telling you earlier, um, and just to kind of like give my thoughts on basketball, like I am in the final weeks of my uh, class for school, and I have been playing around with some R packages uh, R just being the statistics software um, for yeah. people who aren't familiar with it. And so I have found something called hoop R, um, which is giving Hooper. me all the, yeah, I nice. call it hoop R. Yeah. Um, so I have access now to shot data, like specifically location data and pretty much every shot. And so I'm really excited once I'm done with school. So, you know, it's probably starting later, closer to Christmas. I'm going to start trying to compile some fun little graphics um, and shot charts and stuff for, you know, each player, each game kind of thing. I think it could be really fun. Sweet. Yeah, I've seen some of the ones that you've been playing around with a little bit and they are awesome. So I can't I can't wait to see some more of those. Those are super cool. 
All right, let's close this thing out here. A uh, couple final notes. Um, men's soccer played in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Matt, I know you got to go to one of these games. So break us down here on on how this kind of how the season got closed out. Yeah. So um, as everybody will remember, we beat SMU and UCF at home, uh, giving us the sixth seed for the conference tournament. Um, this meant that we got to host our first two games. So we hosted Creighton, who upset Missouri State. Uh, that was pretty surprising. Missouri State was the 10 seat, not the 10 seat. They were uh, like ranked number 10, had had a first place vote. We were the only team to beat them all year. So Creighton knocks them off first round. So we get uh, a date with Creighton. Game pretty much like we were in control through majority of the first half. We got a goal. And then the second half, we started to kind of slip up a little bit, didn't get as many opportunities, but that's just kind of the style that Tulsa plays is we're not super aggressive uh, in the box. We kind of try and keep possession within the opponent's half. And so that kind of, you know, that game ended up 1-0. Alex Minard and uh, Malik Henry Scott both saw a little bit of playing time, but they were still coming off of injuries at that point. So with that win, we moved on to the third round where we were hosting West Virginia. And very similar to the Creighton game, I mean, we just did not... I only was able to watch the second half. Uh, I was watching uh, the football game partially and then also Alabama-Auburn in the first half. Um, And so just we had a couple good opportunities towards the end of the second half, but it's just the same style. Um, And then went to overtime. Nothing happened in the first overtime. I got up to go check on my cat. And then came back and we had lost like the replay. uh, You know, they had just had a corner kick. They got the bounce going their way straight through. And it just, you know, in college, golden goal. So that was it. You know, Tulsa lost 1-0 to West Virginia, which is just brutal. This is one of, if not our best teams that we've had uh, in the history of the program, I would imagine. Um, I don't know, you know, everything about the history of our program. So It'll be interesting because there were a lot of there were a lot of good seniors like Alex Minard. Like, is he going to come back with the COVID year? I mean, we've already got some new recruits uh, and signees for next season, so there'll be uh, a lot of things to watch for soccer for you know the next couple of weeks as we try and figure out you know how are we going to rebuild, rebuild, retool for next season and make another run at this thing. Yeah. Good explanation. I don't have really anything to add. I didn't get to watch any of the final games, mostly due to holiday stuff, um, which was a bummer because we got to host two of them. It was it was two full games, right, that we hosted here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Cre- so, uh, Creighton, West Virginia. Creighton game was really fun. I sat. Um, oh, who's I sat in front of some somebody's parents, uh, which was great because they knew everybody's <laughs> name. Yeah. Uh, nice. And they were able to yell stuff out for me. It was perfect. That is what you should do. Like in the same way when we sat next to like sat with Jackson players family at the SMU game a couple oh, of years yeah. ago, it's the way yeah. to do it. Yeah, agreed. I, so yeah, I went to the first SMU game and the, the, the championship game against UCF and you're right. Like sitting by people who know what they're talking about when I went with Pat and we sat right by some, what I assume were TU women's soccer players. Cause they knew again, everybody on, on the field, what they were doing, talking strategy the whole time, all this stuff. It was so helpful for me, you know? It was awesome. I, I loved it. I got so much out of that game and really enjoyed it because of that. So, yeah, that's the well, one of the cool things about soccer stadiums and, and stadiums like that in general, so much smaller. Um, you'll probably sit by people who, who really know the sport and, and can really uh, help you out when you're asking questions. 
Uh, all right, let's move on. Final thing. Just wanted a quick update on women's basketball as well. They are freaking on fire. Still undefeated. 6-0. and The only undefeated American Athletic Conference team in men's or women's basketball anymore. Everybody else has one loss. There is no undefeated team in the men's side. And Tulsa is the only undefeated team on the women's side. They have beaten Duquesne, Sam Houston State, Florida A&M, Oral Roberts, Florida Atlantic, and Austin P. And they beat Austin P. in the championship game of the FAU Thanksgiving tournament. So they've already got a championship under their belt this year. Angie Nelp, off to the hottest start in like 60 years for Tulsa women's basketball or something like that. It is just That's, amazing. Yeah, 2004. Okay, so not 60. Is it really? I, th- I could have sworn I saw something later than that. I saw 2004 was like the 4-0 start. Maybe that's the 6-0 one as 2004, well. we had a, um, we won seven in a row. And that is from every, from what I've been able to see, granted Tulsa's website only goes to 2005, 2006. Uh, that's the most wins we've had in a row is seven. So Okay, nice. So man, what a, God, just an awesome start for her. She is just, just killing it. I mean, we're playing... So it's, it's hard to know. I don't know if there's like a Ken Palm version for women's basketball because they don't track women uh, as far as I know. It's just men's basketball over there. Um, and so we're, it's hard to know like how good these teams are. Uh, we're playing Bradley next. Um, and then we've got Missouri State and Central Arkansas. Bradley's on the road, Missouri State and Central Arkansas at home. And then we go into another tournament. So awesome start. Really like just just very very cool especially for a first year head coach to turn this program around the way it seems like she has just lots of energy on the sidelines players playing really hard lots of good talent on this team with Tamira Poindexter and the Mayberry sisters and uh, Rebecca Lasky and Maddie Biddle it's just there's a lot of good ones so really love the women's basketball team definitely going to get out to some games uh, as we as more time comes available here uh, basically right now now that we're back from Thanksgiving and all that stuff so good stuff really looking forward to it wow 11 a.m. on Wednesday what a weird time for a game See, that's why sometimes you can't get out to these games, man. That's tough. But I mean, I know that men's basketball has the same problem every now and then. Which one is the, uh, is that Bradley? You're saying yeah. is the 11 a.m. one? This, that, yeah, this Wednesday, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Bradley is three and two overall, has two, uh, lost two of their last games to Northern Illinois and Minnesota. Um, first time that we've ever played them. All right. Very nice. Okay, anything else? You want to close this one down? I think I'm ready to call it. All right, me too. Um, Cool. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's on Spotify or Google or Overcast or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Uh, Drop us a rating and a review while you're over there too. Really, those help a ton. Would really appreciate it. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that. Uh, Go to our website, thegoldenheartcast.com slash support. And finally, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Golden Hurricast, or you can send us an email, and that email is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. <laughs>